Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. In this podcast episode, I go into the podcast fishbowl of spiritual companionship with Pam Winthrop Lauer, a spiritual director and a practitioner and teacher of nonviolent communication, or NVC, also known as connecting communication. NVC is a revolutionary communication model that provides concrete ways to transform judgment, anger, and fear into compassion for ourselves and others. Nonviolent communication offers strong, effective tools to connect open-heartedly with anyone so that when we are called outward into the public square, we have the skills to work for change nonviolently, i.e. in a way that honors the sacredness of all humanity. So in our conversation, Pam introduces nonviolent communication to us, offers us a meditation, which then flows into our companionship process. During that time, I offer a conflict that I often have with myself. Rather, that conflict is with my inner critic, that voice in my head that tells me that the things that I make as an artist, as a creative practitioner, are not any good. So Pam, I'm so glad that we could have this conversation today. Thank you for making the time for me and for our community of spiritual companions. And you're coming here to share a little bit about your practice as a spiritual companion and a nonviolent communicator. Yeah, nonviolent communication uh, teacher, I guess you could say, and coach. Hmm. Thank you so much for having me, Matt, because the more people who know about nonviolent communication, the better for everybody. It's just such a, a gift of the modality. And it's, Marshall Rosenberg said many times that it's, there's nothing really new in it, but it really is revolutionary. It, it says we will not submit or rebel when something, when we don't like something. We're not going to live under domination, which requires us to either submit or rebel, but we're going to stay engaged in a loving way. So should I just go ahead and give you my introduction before we move into the practice? Yeah, uh, maybe give us a brief, uh, uh, I love what you just said, that we will not submit or uh, what was the other one? Or rebel. Or rebel. We will not submit or rebel. I love that. Uh, I think you're offering a very beautiful take on that practice. And so, yeah, maybe give us a definition of nonviolent communication to begin uh, the elevator speech, as it were. Okay, I will. We are living, our whole society is uh, something that Marshall called a domination system, which he got that word from uh, Walter Wink which many spiritual directors might know that name. And our system tells us to find who's right and who's wrong. And nonviolent communication is a revolutionary communication model that makes connection and understanding simple and clear and provides concrete ways to transform judgment, anger, and fear into compassion for ourselves and others. So Marshall Rosenberg 
developed it after he took his PhD uh, in the 50s with Carl Rogers. And he, he founded a center called the Center for Nonviolent Communication, which you can find at cnbc.org. And from their website, I copied uh, a little short summary. It says, through the practice of NBC, we can learn to clarify what we are observing, what emotions we are feeling, what values we want to live by, and what we want to ask of ourselves and others. We will no longer need to use the language of blame, judgment, or domination. We can experience the deep pleasure of contributing to one another's well-being. The model is simple but transformative. Nonviolent communication creates a path for healing and reconciliation in its many applications, ranging from intimate relationships, work settings, healthcare, social services, police, prison staff and inmates, governments, schools, and social change organizations. You uh, have offered to open us with a, a meditation practice, a self-connection practice. Uh, would you like to walk us through that and facilitate? Yes. So first, the reason I want to do it is I want to demonstrate something right away about nonviolent communication. One of the major, major gifts that Marshall Rosenberg brought in his teaching of, of nonviolent communication is that our feelings, absolutely everything we do is generated by these universal human needs. He called them needs, but he also called them life energy. And he even, he even considered his name for God was beloved life energy. Um, it just is constantly moving through us. And the life energy or needs or values, you could call them, can roughly fall into four categories. One is love and belonging. One is meaning. One is um, physical needs like safety and food. And one is autonomy and freedom. Um, but, they, but you can get into all kinds of nuance. And when you understand that every single feeling everything, single action we do, everything, single thing we say is generated or motivated by these universal human needs moving through us, then it's very easy to come to empathy for anybody because once you understand what the needs are that, the, that are motivating their actions, you have those same needs. So you might wish that they had made a different choice to meet their needs, but it's easy to come to empathy because you know how precious and wonderful that life energy is. So I always start, whenever I teach nonviolent communication, um, I always start with a self-connection practice because one of the best ways of starting to understand our own, um, like having compassion for ourselves and, and being able to connect with others through these feelings and needs, is to understand, is to connect with our own feelings and needs. Because even though many people have a fair amount of facility with their own feelings, and even that is questionable, most of us are not at all literate with the underlying human needs. So, um, so let's do this 
practice to connect with ourselves, it helps us to be more fully alive. And then um, you'll see how by doing this oneself, we can use it to um, empathize with others as well because it gives us practice. It's, it's good in so many ways. Okay, so let's start um, with just an extremely short meditation, taking a few deep breaths, just to come into presence in the body, because of course our bodies are such a wonderful source of becoming really present. So full deep breath, each one followed by a long, slow exhalation. And then just a little bit of a body scan to help us know what's happening in our bodies so that we're really in the present moment. Relaxing the brow, letting it be smooth, softening the eyes. Relaxing the jaw, letting the shoulders relax and drop. Relaxing the arms. Relaxing through the torso and noticing the aliveness in the torso all the movement, even if we're sitting still. Relaxing through the hips and thighs and pelvis. Relaxing through the legs and feet. And taking a moment to put our attention into our hands and our feet and noticing the aliveness there as well. Perceiving all that movement in the stillness. Letting our whole bodies be a field of awareness. And from right here in this present moment in these bodies, let's bring our attention to our heart and ask ourselves, what am I feeling? Noting a few different feelings. And then when you've got your feeling, ask yourself, from what needs might these feelings be arising? And some possibilities are um, needs for safety, for belonging, for meaning, for contribution, purpose, for love, for connection, for autonomy and freedom, all kinds of possibilities. And when you're ready, Matt, I can share mine first so that you can uh, you can get an example, and then I'll I'd like to hear yours. What I notice is a, my feeling is tender-hearted. I feel really tender-hearted. And so I ask myself, okay, what needs are underneath that? Well, um, really a huge need for meaning and, and uh, contribution and mattering. Um, as I told you before we started the podcast, a huge need to trust that I matter no matter what I do or what others think of me. And I also think part of the... Um, and also, I mean, being here is also meetings. Tenderhearted for me is like a combination of sad and, and happy. And um, 
and a lot of presence. So I have a need for presence that's being fully met right now. Um, and also one need that's been moving through me a lot is just a deep desire for well-being for everyone and knowing that that's not happening um, gives a lot of, every time I come into full presence, I usually notice there's a tinge of sadness because I so want well-being for everyone. And I'm so aware that that's not, that need is not being met. So how about you? Thank you for sharing that. You know, as, as you guided that, I was able to come into stillness and my first feeling was of surprise. I'm always surprised at how simple it is to drop into stillness when I'm with somebody else. Yeah. And how difficult it is for me to do that when I'm by myself. Uh, I feel like it, it, it sort of reinforces for me that there's really something magical about companionship and doing yes. practice together. Um, so, you know, I was just dropping, I was like, no, to like unfurl the brow and relax the shoulders and like notice that little cramp in the leg. It doesn't need to be there. I can just adjust a little bit and, and I never do that for myself. Mm. It's always with somebody else. So I'm always surprised by that and it continues to surprise me. And in the stillness, I experienced a little bit of nervousness and uh, I guess apprehension, just knowing kind of what we're gonna do in our, in our conversation today. Yeah. Uh, and how vulnerable uh, that that space is. Yeah. And so settling into that vulnerability and noticing it, that was, uh, that was what came to me. Great. And I would like to guess the needs underneath those feelings. Would that feel right with you? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I wonder if, and one thing we learn about in NBC is the, um, I, I don't, I wish I could remember who, who this quote is from, but the question mark at the end of a needs guest, guess is holy because we never know for sure. We're always guessing what another person feels and needs because um, everybody needs autonomy and needs not to be, for people not to assume that they know more than, more about themselves than they know. So um, so my first guess, when you said surprised, um, I'm going to guess um, you had a need for understanding. That, that the surprise um, is, comes out of a need for understanding how, how it works to be able to go into um, more full presence and how, that, how, how fascinating it is that it happens so easily with another person and so hard with, without. That be an accurate guess? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and if, you, if there's anything else that you want to say about it, about um, the needs underneath that, always feel free. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, understanding. That's a good word. I, if I go into a quiet space, 
you know, a, a contemplative space or meditation, uh, I settle in and I allow quiet and silence. And then I, like, I think everybody sort of wrestle with my thoughts or distractions and all of that. And, uh, and I, like most probably become frustrated with that, you know, uh, I want that like real quiet, that real stillness, that real sense of presence. When, when I do those practices is kind of the point. Yeah. Um, and the understanding there is the understanding that that is always possible and probably more possible than I am aware of in that moment when I'm just by myself kind of in dialogue with myself. But when a, somebody else is facilitating that, or if I am facilitating it for others, it's, it's that, that narrative, that monologue kind of fades away. Like it goes away. Yeah. It's just, it's something. I actually, what I was looking for when I said, when I said you can say, if you want to say something else is, I was wondering if there were any other needs out of, under that feeling of surprise. So the other feeling you mentioned was um, nervousness about sharing some personal stuff that we talked about talking about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, I'm guessing the need under that is for acceptance. Like we have a need to be seen for who we really are, um, but we also have a need to really be accepted for who we really are. So I wonder if um, being seen and accepted is part of the nervousness, like really wanting to be seen and really wanting to be valued, not just accepted, but valued. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like those needs, like if, that, if, if you felt like people didn't, like that when you, make, when you open yourself up to vulnerability, it's because there's the possibility of, of being judged instead of valued and accepted. And so the needs are for being valued and accepted. What do you think? Am I getting them right there or are there others? No, you're getting it right. To be accepted, to say, you know, okay, in this podcast, as part of the work of this podcast, I'm going to put myself out there in some very deep-seated feelings within myself in a very vulnerable way, how is that going to be received? Yeah. Is that going to be accepted? Is it going to, you know, do what I hope it does is invite people into similar vulnerability and and dialogue with themselves and move people towards spiritual companionship. Yeah. The work, right? And, uh, you know, if I do it and it falls flat or if it sounds silly or is just is judged as negative, you know, then have I failed at that work? And yeah. it's uh, the work itself is, is very vulnerable, right? So, um, yeah, of course, of course, I want it to be accepted. And of course, I want to be accepted as the work is a reflection and a creation of myself. And I also heard, which I didn't guess in the first place, that you really want to contribute to people. 
You want people to get something from this that will help them, that will matter in their lives. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You, you said it too, right? That people, people want to matter. They want to feel valued. They want to have a yeah. sense of value in their life and in the work they do. Yeah. And I want people to become aware of that and to feel that. Yeah, yeah. And it, it also meets our needs for meaning. Like mm-hmm. when we contribute to people, when we feel like um, we're doing something that matters to people, it just so meets our needs for meaning. Pam Winthrop Lauer grew her spiritual direction and nonviolent communication practices gradually over 15 years while raising her children and caring for her ill husband. In 2015, Pam launched a full-time practice of spiritual direction and NVC coaching and teaching. She also volunteers as an interfaith leader. She's a candidate to become a certified trainer with the Center for Nonviolent Communication, which you can learn more about at cnvc.org. Her spiritual direction certification is through the Lev Shomea Jewish Spiritual Direction Training Program of 2001 to 2003. Support for this podcast comes from SDI Press, announcing its newly published book, Spiritual Direction Supervision, Principles, Practices, and Storytelling by Lucy Abbott Tucker an innovative full-color workbook designed to support the care and growth of your spiritual companionship practice, representing the best thinking of master teacher Lucy Abbott Tucker. We invite you to explore her principles, practices, and stories as you deepen your own approach to spiritual direction, companionship, and the supervision process. Learn more at sdistore.org. I just want to invite all SDI members to update their profile for our Find a Spiritual Companion Guide. It's super easy to do. Go to sdicompanions.org, find the Members tab in the navigation, and click on My Account. Log in and update with the photo and some basic information so that potential seekers and spiritual travelers can find you. If you're not a member of SDI and you're curious Just know that we would love to have you as part of this public square of spiritual companionship. You do not need to be a spiritual director or a life coach or a guide to be a member. If you're interested in this work of companioning one another, if you do it in a organic way with others, with friends, uh, we are a place for you too. If you're interested in contemplative practice and interfaith dialogue and inner spirituality, and being with a rich community of deep listeners, come join us. Come find us at sdicompanions.org and learn more. And I want to tell you, um, like, I'm excited to go forward, and I'm also noticing thoughts in myself. Oh, my God, is this sounding good? Is this, is this giving? Is this, are people going to be turning off their podcast now when they hear this? You know, like, that's, that's what's going on. Okay, so so I want to self-connect. What's going on? Well, this very same needs that Matt's talking about. I just so want to contribute. And I also so want to be accepted and um, and valued. It's funny. We have 
very similar needs um, moving through us at this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And when I start to feel that become a little too heavy, I just usually find a way to plow forward. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. I acknowledge that in you and I acknowledge it in myself and I, and I hold that. <sighs> So you are going to guide me through some, some nonviolent communication and uh, in regards to dealing with conflict. Is there anything you would like to say about that before we begin? Um, I think we should just jump in. We're going to do something about an inner conflict, but it, it has so many principles in it that apply to any kind of conflict. So yeah, let's let's jump in. Okay, let's jump in. Yeah, take it away. I'll just tell me what you need. Okay. Um, so you were telling me about um, a thought you were having, kind of an inner critical voice. And um, I wanted to share right away that any kind of criticism can be considered, Marshall Rosenberg would say, Um, a real gift because it points us to what we most deeply value, what we most long for, what we most care about. So if you would like to share um, the judgmental voice, we can use that to um, identify the longings that bring that voice up. Okay. So, Pam, you invited me to consider a conflict in my life uh, as a, a, a fruitful ground for this conversation and a fertile ground for this conversation. And what came to me was the conflict that I have with myself sometimes. Uh, and that conflict is with an inner voice uh, that comes up from time to time in regards to the work that I do, um, particularly as an artist, as a visual artist. So I make a lot of art. I've been doing a lot of oil painting lately. And mostly I really enjoy that. And I enjoy making things and I enjoy putting them out there and I enjoy talking to people about the work. And I'm proud of the work that I do. Um, but yesterday, a different voice made itself known in me, and I've, I've heard it referred to as the inner critic, um, which is a voice that says to me that the work is not good. Um, and so the conversation with myself last evening uh, was just around whether any of the work that I ever did was any good. Uh, are the do the paintings that I make are they are they good like are they aesthetically good and as I'm saying this I'm looking around in my studio looking at the paintings that I've been making and that inner critic says these are mediocre paintings these are like yeah you maybe learned a few tricks in your education and you've been doing it a while but they're not ever going to be great. They're not ever going to be really valued as art. 
as, as mattering to people, that the work doesn't matter. The things I'm making do not matter. Yeah, I'll begin there. Yeah. Wow, so, um, so those, that voice um, points directly to some really clear values that are actually quite lovely. I, I feel like I can't go forward with pointing to those values until I first respond just from my heart. Just my whole body is just, my heart just aches with um, the pain that, um, you know, speaking to a part of you that, not the critical voice, but the part of you that receives the critical voice, um, and guessing that um, when you hear that thought in your own mind, I imagine you must feel really sad because you probably want to have confidence in your own work. Is that right? Is it sadness? I don't know if it's sadness. It's certainly an anxiety or a defeatist feeling like I, like I failed. I failed in my calling. Yeah. Uh, there, that voice tells me that, that it's, that the work is not good and that I've put my whole life, invested my whole life into making this work. And, uh, and at, the, at the end of it all, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It makes me just okay. defeated. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I am guessing that that voice is pointing to um, life energy, need value in you to make art that matters, to make art that fully expresses what's inside of you. Is that right? Yes. You just really long to just really be able to have facility in expressing what's inside of you in a way that, that, that will move others, in a way that, that will bring something new into the world. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, you look like almost a tiny bit relaxed to have that acknowledged. You, well, you said it very perfectly. Yay. Oh, that's great. That's great. There was so, no it's like, yes, just that. Yeah. So, so this, um, so sometimes we learn to criticize ourselves in order to, in order to bring us to something that we really care about. And so this inner voice just is just like, oh, I so, I put so much work. Like there's a couple of inner voices. So there's the one that I just said. Like, like the critical one that's, that just wants the work to matter and wants the work to um, just so wants to express through art, so wants to have, like, I, I don't mean to repeat myself, but just that facility to just be able to just put it out there in a way that it's just so expressive and beautiful and, and meaningful. And then the part of you that's saying, that has doubt and saying that I don't know if I 
if any of this has ever mattered. And all of the work that I've put into learning how and, and practicing and doing it, I don't know if any of that has ever, ever mattered. So I imagine that that voice just wants to know that all of the energy that you've put into learning to paint and practicing painting and making art has been worthwhile, a worthwhile way of spending your time. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, and spending your money when it came to education and all of the art supplies cost a lot of money. You want to know that this it's, it's worth it. Is it worth it? Is it worth? Yeah. Is all of it worth it? Was it worth yeah. the, in the in the investments in the energy? Yeah. And the and the you know the things that I didn't put time and energy into. You know, ah. Would it have been better served? I don't know. Feeding the hungry or uh, yeah, serving a political cause. You know, uh, pouring energy into making paintings. Is that is that a worthwhile endeavor? Was it a worthwhile endeavor? Yeah. yeah. So it's the longing for meaning. You really, I mean, it's like it's not even about your, your life or your art, either one of them mattering to other people. It's that they matter in the world. Like you just want your life to have meaning in the world. You want to be bringing forward purpose that, that makes a difference in the world. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So what I'm hearing is just a need that your life has meaning. Yes. Because all of those examples, like you, the alternatives of ways you could have spent your time are also about contributing to the world, feeding people or whatever the other one was, I forgot. Yeah, or, uh, you know, working towards the common good, serving yeah. political you know, a oh, yeah. candidate or an issue, a cause. Yeah. Your activism, right? Yeah. Uh, in the ways that those serve the common good, does my art equally serve the common good? Does it help? Yeah. People? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you really, really care about serving the common good. You really care about about making the world better in whatever way you can, is that right? Yeah, yeah. It matters to you. It matters to you that your life has meaning, but not just has meaning, but also contributes to the world. So how do you feel now? I feel a little more clarity and in that I can name what it is that this critic is actually critiquing. It's not just, is the work good? It says, does the work serve a purpose? Mm -hmm. Does it serve others? Mm -hmm. And as I, as I speak that question aloud, I'm still looking around at the paintings on the walls. And I feel as if I'm, I'm asking the paintings themselves that question. Mm -hmm. When I say, do you, does the art serve a purpose? I'm like looking at a painting and I'm saying, do you serve a purpose? Mm -hmm. 
do you serve a purpose and do you and do you and uh you know the the initial feeling of are you any good that tends to feels a little less intense Mm -hmm. um it feels like a dead end in that if i if I listen to that question and I respond with, yeah, it is no good, then I stop. Like I would stop making art. But if I ask it like, are you serving people? Then that elicits a different kind of response or a different kind of action. Mm -hmm. uh, on an immediate level, it, it requires more engagement and that is, I need to keep doing it. Uh, to keep making things uh, with that question kind of at the forefront as a motivator. Uh, and I need to keep sharing them and not be afraid to share them and like kind of allow people to make that, uh, to ask that of themselves that maybe the question, do these matter, is not mine to answer. And that's not my responsibility. I mean, I have a responsibility to the work, but it's a, it's, you know, other people can decide whether it has meaning or value to them. Which I know that it does. Cause I, I hear that from people and you know, I'm just one of these people that I can hear, you know, 20 positive things about the art or praises and one negative thing. And I dwell on the negative thing, the yeah. one, not the 20 positives. And I haven't even heard any negative feedback on the work lately. It's, it's, uh, I learn how to, I can learn how to trust other people to, who have offered answers to this question to take their word for it. I needed to trust my community. So you're demonstrating something in NBC um, uh, called a request, um, which has to do with strategies. So um, NBC, we talk about observations, feelings and needs, which we've just talked about, and requests, which are um, strategies about strategies for meeting needs. So um, when you were saying, does my work make a difference to people? Like, does it, does it contribute to people somehow? I, I was hearing you connecting the need for meaning and for your work to matter with an idea of a certain way of serving people, like, um, like activism, for instance. And, and activism is a strategy for meeting your need for, to contribute to the world. And painting is another strategy for meeting your need to contribute to the world. And then I heard you make a request of yourself um, to meet your need to know that 
this, that your paintings do contribute to people. And the request of yourself is, I'm going to check with some people, um, people I trust. And that'll help me know that the work does matter to people. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel complete about this for now? I do. I feel a sense of completeness and actually an idea uh, for a creative project comes to mind out of, out of this dialogue, um, which is interesting. So this, Great. this was fruitful on a lot of levels. Yeah. Now one thing that happens is if we, um, is if we can really feel and, and have some resonance with another person about what's true for us, our creativity is unlocked. So, um, hmm. yeah, so I'm really glad you have an idea for another project. Yeah, yeah. And I had, and I had this idea that maybe on the website when you put up this podcast, you could put a picture of one of your paintings. <laughs> It feels self-serving, but I'll, I'll, maybe the one I'm looking at right now I can put up there. I don't think it's self-serving. I think people are going to be intensely curious. Okay. Um, okay. Which is not, you know. Um, okay, so um, before we close, do you want to talk a little bit about how this can relate to spiritual direction? I would love to. Okay, great. Yeah. Oh, okay, so... Um, well, there, there are two things that I want to say about this. One is spiritual direction is not a, um, a helping modality, right? We, we don't try to fix anything in spiritual direction. And nonviolent communication can be um, more of a helping modality. Yeah. Um, coaching, for instance. But when, so one thing that when I'm doing spiritual direction and I start to have NBC ideas, I have to ask myself, am I trying to solve something for this person? Because if I am, then, then put that aside and continue to pray and ask God for guidance as to, you know, what they might need. However, um, Sometimes, without trying to fix, I can really, the NBC can really, really help in being able to help a person feel fully heard. Mm -hmm. Because, for instance, when they have a judgment, and I can say of themselves, especially of themselves, um, but or of somebody else, I can help them um, identify the, that living energy, the energy of needs under that judgment. Um, how much they want to matter, how much they want their work to matter, how much they want to be able to really express themselves and let life express through them in their art. Yeah. Those are the two things I wanted to say about NBC and spiritual direction. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was. it's not so much an either-or proposition that you make as a spiritual director it's because I, mean, I think as I reflect on that practice we just did it's you're doing a lot of 
I mean, you're doing deep listening. You're listening to me. You're listening to what's being shared by me. Yeah. And you are reflecting that back to me mm -hmm. in, uh, in a kind of paraphrasing and a, a reciting, right? Like what you have heard. And so allowing me to really clarify what it is that I have said. Like, did, is what I said really what I meant to say? And yeah. did you receive that correctly, right? Yeah. In the way that I intended. And that practice alone uh, gives a little bit of refinement to what is actually like inside, right? Because is the, is the critic that says the art is not good, is that, that is what I said. Is that really what I meant? And that's the crux of the practice, I think, that, that you are offering. Is that really? Well, I think, I think I'd like to add something to that. Mm -hmm. um, remember when I, so when you said, um, when you first expressed that the critic as saying, as doubting the value of the work, I didn't, I didn't paraphrase that as much as I said what the critic wants, which is to really be able to express, to, to have facility with your paints and to be able to really put out there what's in your heart and, and um, in a way that, um, in a way that, that's very true. Like I said things about what you, when you said, I don't want to not be good, kind of, where I, where I wanted, where I, I came in there and tried to say what you do want. Yeah. yeah. And guess that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which was, which is way different than paraphrasing. Sure, sure. Um, but it was, yes, it was very different than paraphrasing. Um, yeah, do you think, is that, uh, I mean, what you were offering was a, a much more generative uh, vision of what is really inside me, maybe. And so those, those judgments get transfigured, transmuted into the, the true voice. That's yeah. what I hear from you. Because when you were sharing it, I... I was like, yes, yes, that's it. I, it didn't yeah. need deeper understand. I mean, you had spoken exactly what was in my heart. And, and so that, you know, I think, um, yeah. I, how would you, what would you name that then, that practice? That was identifying the needs, the living energy okay. underneath that, that life energy that, um, Everything we do or say comes out of these universal human needs or life energy, and they're all beautiful. They're all wonderful. They're, they're, you could say that what they are is love of life. Mm -hmm. So your need to contribute is part of your love. It's life moving through you. It's life loving itself through you. That's why you want to contribute. That's why you want your art to matter. That's why... Um, that's why you want your expression to really be true and, and, and beautiful 
because truth and beauty and mattering and, and um, contributing are all universal human needs. Everybody needs those. And yeah. they are this beautiful life energy that the judgment was pointing to in a very painful way. Okay. Okay. That's helpful. So when you are doing, uh, if you were to summarize for us just the, the practice of nonviolent communication uh, in a setting like this, what, what are some of the key things? You just, you just named one, uh, one of the things that you were looking for. Um, or there, there are probably a few of those, I imagine. Nonviolent communication is about um, connecting with oneself and others and being fully alive through um, having this clarity of um, being able to talk about what has what actually has happened, what you've actually seen as opposed to, that's an observation, as opposed to what you think about what you've seen. Like for instance, um, my son is outside and I think my son is very handsome. That's a lovely thought, it's a fine thought, but um, an observation would be, um, my son is, uh, has brown hair and he's wearing glasses and um, he has kind of an oval shaped face and brown eyes. Those are observations that everybody's gonna agree on. Sure. Some people might agree he's handsome, some people might not agree he's handsome. Some people might agree that, um, that, uh, that my husband sh spoke sharply to me this morning, but um, maybe he was just, maybe he doesn't think he spoke sharply. Maybe what he thinks is, um, is that he was yelling because he didn't think I could hear him, which is a very different thing than spoke sharply, right? Mm -hmm. but, um, but I could say that he spoke with a louder than normal tone. That's an observation that he can agree with and I can agree with. So, so we talk about observations and then feelings and then needs and then requests. And, um, and there's a lot to learn about all these things, which is why I gave you those resources, because I just really encourage people to read Marshall Rosenberg's book, Berg's book, um, to maybe read one of the other books, maybe look at some of the videos. There are people teaching and training nonviolent communication all over the place. It's not necessarily something that you do as a counselor or a coach, but it can be. I mean, I definitely do coach people in nonviolent communication, but that's not what it's about. It's not about coaching one-to-one. -one. Mm. Um, it it's about, um, that can be part of it. Mediation can definitely be part of it. It's so much, Marshall Rosenberg used to say that um, if he could get people, if he could get two people to repeat, to, to say to the other person what the other person's needs were, accurately and have both of them do it he, he said they were 20 minutes from the end of a conflict no matter how long that conflict went went on hmm. because once everybody understands the universal human needs underlying the actions that had been taken then um and and they let go of the strategies which are specific ways to meet needs then creativity can come up can just well up and you can find ways to meet the needs of everybody hmm. yeah. and that's that's what it's all about that's it's about finding ways 
to meet everybody's needs in a situation. And it gives these specific tools, observations, feelings, needs and requests, empathy, which is about reflecting feelings and needs. Um, and people have gone on to, to build this into facilitation practices, uh, mediation, as I said, all of them are ways to make a world that works for everybody, where everybody's needs matter. One of my teachers, Mickey Cashtan, and her sister, Inval Cashtan, said, um, we may never get to a place where everybody's needs can be met, but when everybody's needs are held with equal care, everything changes. Wow. Yeah. That feels like a big part of the work of spiritual companionship is not being able, not necessarily being able to meet the needs, but to hold the needs. That feels yeah. very profound. Yeah. So if I was to do this and as I'm listening to somebody to just observe to what is being spoken or shared and to listen for the needs of what, of what I'm hearing what are the needs of that person? What, are the, what is that person feeling? The other one is requests. Yeah, and, um, and you want to connect with yourself and your own feelings and needs hmm. first so that you don't lose yourself in guessing the other person's. You don't have to express them. Mm -hmm. You just need to know, know what's, what's alive in you at the moment. Because mm -hmm. if, if you, um, for instance, if... Um, if you see that your wife is angry, you you could go straight to guessing, uh, to to saying, "I see that you slammed down that that um, can of Coke." That's an observation, as opposed to, "Man, you look pissy, right?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I see that you slammed down that can of Coke. Um, I wonder, could you? I mean, are you angry because um, I don't know. I, because something's really not going right right now that you would like to see, would you be willing to talk to me about it? That would be a request. Okay, yeah. But before you do that, okay. you would want to first check in with yourself and say, whoa, I just saw my wife slam down that Coke. I'm really, you know, you might say, I'm really scared because uh, I don't know if she's angry at me. And let's just be really gentle and don't, no need to be scared. If you need to, some more compassion, we can go someplace else right now. But if you feel like you can go forward with some trust, then we can go ask her if she needs anything. She wants some connection right now. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. That's really helpful. All right. But I imagine it just takes practice. It takes so expletive much practice. I, <laughs> I try not to tell people that right away because um, it really does. But the practice is so worthwhile. Yeah. And there's so many resources out there for learning. Um, but it takes a lot of practice. Um, and that's why we start with self-connection because that, it just, that is like the basis for everything. It, every time that I feel... Every time that I identify a need in myself from a feel like underneath a feeling there's this need or that need, then I'm going to um, be able to so much more easily when I see somebody else having that feeling, guess what they 
what they might be needing. Because a lot of times it's going to be the same as what I'm needing when I have that feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which also helps me have more connection and compassion with them. And another thing is, I will say, um, another thing about self-connection is it helps us move through our anger and our fear into sadness. Mm. And sadness has to be, sadness is always under grief, mourning, it's always under, under anger and fear. And, um, and it's a way for us to, anger and fear are like natural ways for us to avoid our sadness and our grief because those are so much less comfortable. Yeah. Um, and if we can have empathy for ourselves, compassion for ourselves, express the fear, express the anger, and then have compassion for the needs underneath it, and often the need is mourning, sadness, grief, like just to express it. And once we do that, we come out in a much more tender-hearted place much more creative place, a much more free, liberated place. I want to, can you talk, the empathy buddy, the, what a beautiful notion to have somebody yeah. to grieve things with you and to be sad together with. And not just that, also to celebrate with you. Absolutely to celebrate with you. Okay. I have at least two empathy buddies a week. It helps me to be more fully alive. Huh. And it frees me. Oh, it's so liberating. I like. I can be really down or really anxious or whatever. And an hour with my empathy buddy, half an hour for me and half an hour for her or him. Mm -hmm. um, we usually do it online, but sometimes we do it on the phone. And um, we do a self-connection practice first. And then whoever goes first says what's alive in them what they're feeling and needing in the moment. And, um, and then the other person starts to reflect, guessing needs, um, holding space, inviting them to feel the sadness, expressing compassion, or celebrating together. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. This is Matt Whitney with SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. Thank you for listening to this episode of SDI Encounters. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. To learn more about spiritual companionship and the ways that you can plug into our community, visit us on our website, sdicompanions.org.